0: As I said earlier, sometimes the preacher needs to preach to himself, and John 6 has always been that for me. Some of you folks are pretty familiar with John 6, at least if you've been around ICM, you know I I hit it on occasion. Uh, It's my go-to sermon, it's my refuge uh, when it's difficult. So uh, that's where we are, John 6, tonight. I love this text because you just have to look at Jesus or you have to look away, right? Right? Of course, the whole Bible is that way. But if you don't really love Christ, you just have to look away. You just have to move on. Uh, but if you love him, man, you've got to love John 6, right? <laughs> you've got to love what he does with nothing, right? So I have always loved it. I'm going to borrow an illustration from an American author. Some of you have heard me use this before, especially if you've heard me preach John 6. But uh, look out, stuff on the stage. Uh, It's a simple story about a mom and dad taking their son to the park. This park had three slides, small, medium, and large. Uh, Immediately the little boy went to the slides and in a flash he was down the small slide. Not a problem. He began then to look at the medium slide and climbed halfway up and he, he choked and he came back down and he watched the other kids go up and down, up and down, up and down. He finally screwed up his courage and got up that slide and he went down numerous times. Well, Of course you know what happened next he wanted to go down the big slide and he got about a third of the way up and he hit the wall he couldn't go any further and he said this, Daddy will you come slide with me? I can't do it without you daddy it's too big for me. I love this little boy I love what he says. Because you, you guys know, if you're living your Christianity, you can't do it in your own flesh. You can't do it by yourself. You need Daddy. You need Abba Father. You've got to have Abba Father. Or you're not doing Christianity. If you, don't, if you don't critically need Abba Father in your life, then you're not doing Christianity. I'm not sure what you're doing, but you're not doing biblical Christianity. You've got to have Abba Father got to love this little boy. It reminds me of trying to live up my Christianity. And every Christian here who is, in fact, doing that has looked up that ladder, and we know we can't do the big slide without him. And this is why I preach John 6 to myself on occasion. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately for you, we're going to do it again tonight. Um, first, just a short personal confession. Uh, what it 's like being an international pastor and his wife eighteen years, and i 've told you this story before, but when the pulpit committee called us, the guy said you shouldn 't come, it probably will fail. okay, this is the guy that offered us the job <laughs> he said i don 't see he said on paper this will never work it 'll never work and it 's never worked for eighteen years. So we praise God for that, but I found out you know when I first came here that there are always five or eight or ten empty international pulpits. And I always could rem- I couldn't figure out, why are these pulpits empty? Why aren't there a hundred guys trying to get in there and, and, and hold those pulpits down and preach the gospel? And I figured it out. It's, it's because of you. It's, it's, it's too hard because you come here, and then you leave here, and then we're left here. And... Uh, it's hard. It's emotionally difficult. It's it's very emotionally difficult. Um, so it's your fault that most international churches are empty because you guys are all passing through, and rightfully so. That's what God has called you to do. As one preacher said, it's like pastoring a parade, and that's what it is. The good side of that is nobody gets tired of your preaching; they're gone before long, and that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing if you're if you're a pastor. But 18 years of of parade fatigue. Um, We couldn't do it without Abba Father. We couldn't do it. You come, you worship with us, you get involved, you roll up your sleeves, you go to work, you worship here, you serve here, you give here, and some of you are changed here. Now, this is is why we do what we do. We've seen more than a few people's lives changed here. The thing we love to do is is bring in maybe nominal church people, and we hold up a huge God, and we dare them to follow him, right? We're not talking about some, you know, toast Jesus. We're talking about the biblical Jesus, you know, the one expects you to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. That's the one we talk about. That's the one we love. And we've proclaimed him to probably close to 1,000 people in 18 years, And a lot of people don't come back. I get that. Okay, they don't want the real Jesus. They want the pseudo-Christ. They want the pseudo-Christ that they can stick in their back pocket and, uh, you know, pull him out whenever they think they need him. But we preach the real one. We preach the Jesus who makes mountains melt like wax. We've We've seen lives changed here. And it's been our happy labor for 18 years. So, But our big slide is this. You always leave. This is the big slide. You always leave, except for Chinelo, uh, Ashley, and Elani. Everybody else leaves. And it's hard. It gets hard. At least a third of the church every year. Bam! 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 And it just never ends. So this was our Big slide. It wasn't that we were away from our home culture and our family and our children and grandkids and friends. It's not that, you know, you have tremendous diversity in international church, which to me is a great benefit. I love it so much, but with diversity comes some challenges. It wasn't that the work was always an enormous financial challenge. How could it possibly ever work? That's not the hard stuff. The hard stuff was you. You would leave. That was the hard stuff. That was our big slide. So, many times I looked up the ladder and I thought, I can't do this anymore. It was emotionally taxing. And John 6 was my refuge. Don't you love what Jesus said to Philip? Where are we going to buy bread? Like, he needs Philip, right? Like, Jesus needs Philip. Like, Jesus needs any of us, right? But isn't it a beautiful thing? He pulls us up into it, right? He pulls us up into what He's going to do. He doesn't need us, but He pulls us up into it. It's how we have felt here for 18 years. He's just pulled us up into what He wanted to do here, right? And we just got pulled up into what the Lord wanted to do. John 6, my refuge I'll just make a confession. In 2012, I was ready to leave, um, and God wouldn't let me. And I love Him for it. I love Him for it. He said, "Why don't you just, why don't you just do what I put in front of you? Why don't you just do that? Why don't you just do what I called you to do?" Until I tell you different, and I grew a lot. I crew a lot during that. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it's really good to get stripped down bare with him on a pretty regular basis. So we always needed help, you know. June, July, you guys would just leave, go on your jolly way, and Karen and I would be here, you know, with Elaney and Ashley and <laughs> Jen Alo, and of late, Shibomi has been here quite some time. And again, you know, Ratio and Fede was here for quite some time as well. But I've always needed John 6, particularly I need it today, because you're not leaving, I'm leaving. We are leaving. This is a big slide for us. So I hope you're in John 6. Let's take a quick look at some of the text here. First, I just have to say, you've got to read John 5, go home and read it. You know, Jesus, in about five different ways, he says, I'm God and nobody else is. You've got to love John 5. And uh, he gives five different witnesses to his deity as he speaks with the Pharisees. Then he gets into John 6 and he leaves no doubt. He feeds 5,000 people with with women and children, more like 15 to 20. All conservative scholars agree 15 to 20,000 people are there. With just a few loaves and fish. He not only says he's God, he shows he's God, right? John 6, he shows he's God. Who else feeds a multitude out of a few loaves and fish? Who else walks on the water? Who else does that? Who do you know that can do that? This account, which is somewhat unusual, it's in all four Gospels. Not many accounts are in all four Gospels. It's in all four Gospels. So you and I are supposed to Get this, we're supposed to understand this. Jesus is the bread of life. And if you don't have him, you're not alive at all, right? You may be playing some religious game, but you are not alive if you do not know him and love him without measure. This is what it means to be a Christian. You love him without measure. And there's, there's nothing you wouldn't do. And there's no, there's no price you wouldn't pay. He's the bread of life. He is our provision. He is our miracle. And you got to love it right here. You know, you know that great text, Colossians 1.16. We were created by Him, and who knows how that ends? We were created by Him and what? For Him. By Him and for Him. And so He puts, he puts His ex nihilo creation power on display right here in the chapter. These barley loaves never The the barley never grew. The fish never swam. It's ex nihilo. Out of nothing he creates bread. Out of nothing he creates fish. It's that same power that said, let it be and two trillion galaxies stood forth. So we're seeing the creator God here do what only he could do. So I read the text. I won't reread it. From the other gospel accounts, we know this. Jesus has just heard that the Baptist has been beheaded. The disciples had just returned from their first preaching tour and Jesus desired to get away for a time of rest and be alone with his men. But John tells us the multitudes continued to follow him. And of course, omniscient God, despite knowing the fact that most of these people would reject him the very next day, despite the fact that the disciples encouraged him to send them away, despite the fact that the disciples were bone tired, Matthew tells us that Jesus felt compassion for them. And as I mentioned earlier, in verse 5 here, Jesus turns to Philip and he says, where are we going to get uh, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? again, like he needs Philip's counsel. But we see there in the next verse or two, right? He's testing Philip. Just like he tests you and me, right? See if your faith is real. 1 Peter chapter 1, it's necessary. It's necessary that your faith be tested. God says it's necessary. God doesn't need to know if it's real. You need to know if it's real. You need to know. So God is testing Philip. Did you notice in verse 5, Jesus asked one question, where to buy the bread. Philip answers another in verse 7, how much it will cost. That's not what Jesus asked. He did not ask how much it cost. That's not the question. (laughs) That is not the question. He said, where do we buy the bread? And what does he want Philip to know? What does he want Philip, what does he want to just erupt from Philip's soul? What does he want Philip? He wants Philip to say, you're the bread. You're my bread. I don't need money. You're my bread. This is what he wants to erupt from the soul of Philip. And all of his disciples and all of you, you're my bread. You're my life. You're my sustenance. You're my strength. This is the question or the answer that Jesus is seeking. Again, verse six tells us that Jesus was testing him. And we know all the great tests in the Bible, right? You know, I've been doing this for a while and some, some, uh, some church members are shocked when they're tested. And I'm saying, have you read your Bible? Of course you're going to be tested. Not only are you supposed to know this, you're supposed to be ready for when it comes. You can't read your Bible very long and not bump into a saint, Old Testament, New Testament, that's not being tested. We know the story of Abraham. We talked about it a lot here, Genesis 22, to sacrifice his son Isaac, the gift that God had given him, uh, the son through whom the promises would come. Abraham passed the test of trust. God was faithful. The eye will see to it. God provided a ram in the bush. We know how God tested Moses. He sent Moses down to Pharaoh with a stick in his hand and a promise. That's it. And God was faithful and he magnified himself in the eyes of every believer and unbeliever who ever heard of the account. And we talked a lot about that when we went through the Dangerous God series, right? God will be magnified in judgment and in redemption, both ways. He said, by this the world will know I am the living God. We saw it over and over and over again in the Dangerous God series as we looked at the judgment of God that fell in the Old Testament, that fell in the Old Testament. You guys remember Gideon, that test of trust, (laughs) outnumbered 450 to 1. (laughs) Gideon, the boys, trusted and obeyed, and God's sovereign power was on display as he routed the enemy. One of my favorite, Jehoshaphat, I always think of Horatio when I think of Jehoshaphat, because uh, Jehoshaphat put the band out front. The the massive army was coming, and Jehoshaphat put the band out front, and, and they were just singing praises to God, right? God said, I'll take care of it. And God routed, God routed the enemy. Uh, Beloved, you're supposed to know, you know, the whole Hebrews 11 thing. You're supposed to not only know he's God, but that he's good. Some of you know it. Some of you haven't tested it yet. You haven't, you haven't gone out there and actually taken a risk where if God doesn't show up, it all goes south. And all I'm telling you is, I'm not bragging here, but we did this. And it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. He means for you to not only believe that he is, of course, 90% of the world believes there's a God. That's not a high bar. He means for you to believe he's good, he's a rewarder, and then live like it. Hebrews 11. We've been talking a lot about that. So if you're a Christian, God will call you to the test. It will be the big slide, and you will need to look at him. You will need to look at him. Philip's looking at what? The circumstances. You can't look at the circumstances on the big slide. You can't. <laughs> you've got to look at God. You know, you've got to look at God. So let me ask you, are you ready for the big slide? Are you ready to trust and obey the Lord? in faith do you believe he's a rewarder will you allow himself will you allow him to magnify himself in your life or is it just all about you been doing this a while many Christians it's pretty much about them I can't be bothered for God to be magnified in my life I can't be bothered it's gonna be inconvenient it's gonna mess up my career it's gonna upset my family can't be bothered listen beloved I say this to you a lot you're going to be looking at him soon I know you think you got many years left some of us may die tonight and you may have many years but a year is nothing a year is nothing we will spend eternity with God so be fearless I love what John MacArthur says I love what he says. This is what happens when we're tested, right? We tend to assign our own feebleness to God. No, God, I can't do that. I can't do it. You know, we're looking in the mirror. We're looking at our own resume. I can't do it. God doesn't want you to do it. He wants you to let him do it through you. And we're going to see that in the text, right? The, dis- the, 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 the provision is going to pass through the hands of the disciples, right? He doesn't need them. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But man, what a blessing. He'll use you if you open your hands with him. Just open your hands. He'll use you. He'll use you huge. You just open your hands. Stop doing this. Do this. He will use you. <laughs> we tend to assign our own feebleness to God. I love that. I love that. So Jesus is teaching his men not to look at circumstance, but to look at him. Jesus equals the unbelievable, the inexplicable, and the miraculous. I can tell you, 18 years, it's a miracle. Every every Sunday that door stayed open. It was miraculous. For one reason, I tend to run a lot of people off. Okay? Because of the way I preach, I tend to run them off. They don't like the God I preach. They like the churchy God. They don't like the biblical one. And many of them just simply never come back. I get that. I understand it. That's a cost of doing business. That's not my problem. My problem is is, is here. My problem is to be here and to stand here and proclaim a God before whom mountains melt like wax. And maybe you'll tremble. And maybe you'll rejoice with trembling. And maybe it'll change the way you live. And maybe people will be converted. When you go out there and and magnify Christ, maybe that'll happen, right? You never know what's going to happen when God does what God's going to do with His Word. That's why I preach. You don't know what He's going to do with His Word. You don't ever know. Miracles happen, man. Really messed up people walk in here, and they walk out different. It's the best job in the world, right? You just proclaim the beauty of God, and then He does all the work. You don't have to do anything, He does all of the work. So if you haven't been to the big slide, you will be there soon. Um, If we're smart, we'll be like the little boy. We won't shrink back, but we'll cry out for our father. Right? will cry out for our father. He said, Daddy, I can't do it, Daddy. It's too big for me. And you know the story if you know my illustration. The father climbed the ladder and he scooped up his boy and he put his son between his legs and he wrapped his arms around him and they zipped down the huge slide doing what? Who remembers? Doing what? Anybody remember? laughing all the way down. This is what it's like to walk with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we don't cry. I'm saying you will, you will experience exhilaration. You will never experience any other way in your life. I don't care how, many, you know, how, much, how much entertainment the world can offer you. God is the best rush. Jesus Christ. And when you simply obey him, you know, as Oswald Chambers says, with glad, reckless joy. He's just glad, reckless joy. And the joy just multiplies and it multiplies and it multiplies. And he's magnified and he's magnified and he's magnified. Oh, Jim, that, that's, that's great. You did 18 years. Can I say I couldn't, have, I couldn't have done one day without the Lord Jesus, right? We don't take credit for anything. We don't take credit for anything. Maybe I take credit for running people off. But I don't take credit for anything else. Maybe it's just the way I am, you know, I'm a little caustic, I guess. A little too, a little too uh, overbearing at times, I guess. You want to experience true, exhilar- true exhilaration? Obey the Lord. You have a deficit of joy in uh, your life, you call yourself a Christian, that's on you. You've left off obedience somewhere. Or maybe you went halfway up obedience and you stopped. You know, I, I see this a lot. So a lot of people go, they'll, they'll go halfway in obedience, about halfway. And it gets a little scary. Can I tell you how many times I've been scared? <laughs> I've been scared a lot. It's good. It's a good thing. Rejoice with trembling, right? Rejoice with trembling. Psalm 2:11. rejoice with trembling. Worship with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. If you don't tremble a little bit, I don't think you're walking with Christ. I, I will say this categorically, you're not walking with Christ if you don't tremble sometimes. We were redeemed to tremble before an awesome God as He calls us to do what He has redeemed us to do. So, watch Philip in the text. Jesus is planning to blow Philip's heart up. Um, He's going to do more than fill uh, fill up uh, Philip's stomach. He's going to reveal himself in a brand new way. The test of trust is always a call to joy. Genesis to Revelation, it's always a call to joy. We're afraid. Yes, we're afraid. I've been afraid many times in my life since I became a Christian. We're afraid, but Jesus wants you to look at him. He's bigger than whatever the problem is. He's bigger than whatever the concern is. He's bigger than whatever the fear is. He's bigger. He's bigger. So the test of trust is always a call to joy. Can you imagine the joy of Abraham when God gave Isaac back to him? How about Moses? When stuff started blowing up and seas started spreading and locusts started coming, frogs were hopping, and rivers were turning to blood. Can you imagine Gideon's joy and Jehoshaphat's joy? This you only get when you believe him full out, right? there's, There's no preconditions. There's no reserve. You realize you're a vapor upon the earth. And what can I do with this vapor to magnify the one who atoned for my sin? What can I do? make a lot of money, have a great career, have a great family. Hey, He may give you that. God's a gracious God. But that's not the sum and substance of your life if you call yourself a Christian, right? It can't be. It's too small for us. Man, we've got to go to the big slide. And we want to slide down with our Father and we're going to laugh all the way down. That's what Christianity is. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you can let me know. Uh... I'll change my sermon, but it'll be too late. I'm out of here. Um, And you know what I love about it? (laughs) Uh, It's time for us to leave, and you've already seen me struggle with this, shed a few tears. But you know what? Even when we have to cry, we know joy is coming in the morning, right? We know that joy will come in the morning. There's that famous line in uh, Twyla Paris*, Good Arkansan. Uh, she sings this song, Do I trust you, Lord? She says, I will believe you even when I must cry. Don't you love it? I believe you when I must cry. Um, We're like everyone else in the world, in this fallen world, none of us uh, are immune from shedding tears, but our tears are never in vain. As one theologian said, you don't have one tear to spare. God is at work in every one of them. I love this. And you know what that great psalm says, Psalm 56, 8, God has put, my tears in his bottle. He has has recorded my tears in his book. Okay? You're talking about intimacy with Yahweh. He's counted every tear. It's not wasted. None of it's wasted. It's not just wasted pain. It's for the glory of God and ultimately for your joy. It's what it is. So back to Philip. He's about to have one of the best days of his life. It's going to be a real thrill for him. But first, Jesus has to teach him and the other disciples to stop looking at circumstance. Philip does the math. Doesn't look good. 200 denarii is not enough. That's seven months' wages, not enough for this multitude. Did you notice there at the end of verse 6? It said that God knew exactly what He was intending to do, right? God knew what He was intending to do. Don't you love it? I don't know what your question is today, but God knows what He intends to do. Hey, it's not a surprise to Him, He's known forever. As long as God's been God, He's had you in His mind and He's loved you and He knew about this circumstance. And He'd already worked a deliverance, right? He'd already worked a deliverance. How can we be afraid when we have a God like this who loves us like this? How can we be timid? How can we be timid out there? We got to believe it, man. We just got to believe it. We just got to believe it. In eternity past, God knew this would be my last Sunday here. He knew that Karen and I would be leaving. He knew. And there's great comfort in that. There's great comfort in that. Trusting in the sovereign providence of God. Hey, if you just learn to trust in the sovereign providence of God, you'll be, you'll be a maniac. Okay? I mean, you'll be in the world, and, and you'll be a dangerous person in the world. Right? People will just step away. Right? This guy believes in sovereignty. This guy believes in a God who can do anything. He believes in him. Don't get close to him. You know, you might get hurt. Something might, something might happen. You don't know what's going to happen with this guy. Verses 8 and 9. You know the story. Andrew found a boy who had five barley loaves and two fish. And Andrew said this. Okay, we're looking at circumstance again, aren't we? What are these for so many? What are these? This is nothing. This is useless. We can't use this. This is no good. (laughs) Philip looks at the situation, says it's impossible. Take too much. Andrew looks at the situation, says it's impossible. We have too little. Philip and Andrew are looking at the same situation from two different vantage points, and they get the wrong answer. They're assigning their own feebleness to God. Philip looked at the crowd and said, it's impossible. Andrew looked at the loaves and said, it's impossible. What are they doing wrong? You already know. They're caught up in circumstance and are not looking at Jesus. You know, I have to tell you, I've said this a lot the last few years because it's it's on my wall, not anymore. It's in a box over the Atlantic. (laughs) I hope it's not under the Atlantic. This would be bad. But I put it on my wall because it rocks me every time. Dominion and awe belong to Him. Job 25.2 I want to look at it every day. Dominion and all belong to my Father, right? So do your worst. Do your worst. Dominion and awe. Man, if you can get a deep sense of dominion and awe, <laughs> you're free, buddy. You're liberated. You are liberated. Are you looking at Jesus? Are you looking at circumstance? Are you still stuck on the small slide? Would you allow him to lead you to the big slide where you know you can't do it lest he show up? We weren't redeemed for the small slide, beloved. And I want to say this again. I already said it in passing. I know this is true. I have lived this. If you're short on joy, you're disobeying God somewhere. You're, You're leaving off obedience somewhere. If there's a lack of Christian joy, spiritual joy, Jesus, you know, inspired joy in your life, it's because you've left off obedience and probably have settled in to whatever the culture says is normal. Philip says it's impossible. Take too much. Wrong. Jesus Christ is God. He does whatever He pleases, whenever He pleases, however He pleases. He's your God. Andrew says it's impossible. We have too little. Wrong. Jesus Christ is God. He's God. Your Savior's God. Your friend is God. He's God. nothing is too small for him to use in a mighty way. Don't you love the kid? Right? Here's this goofy kid. He's got five biscuits and two fish. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's like the four people that call us here. It's a joke. It was a joke. Even the people who called us here, they thought it was a joke. But he gives what he has. He just gives what he has. God does this amazing thing that nobody will ever forget, right? He just gives what he has. It's a joke. And God does this awesome thing with it that we'll be singing about in heaven, right? This is the way God works. Let me ask you, have you ever trusted Him like this? Have you ever trusted God with a little? You know, I've always had people... You know, we don't talk about money much, but I always have people say, well, you know, I can't give much. Okay, that's fine. But give, give. God does amazing things with five biscuits and two fish. Karen, I have seen this at ICM for 18 years. We are a pathetic. We are the quintessential definition of a pathetic operation. We meet in a redeemed garage. Lately, on a good Sunday, 10 people, right? Sitting out there where you're sitting. Uh, we're about as pathetic as it can be, but here's what I know. Jesus Christ is here, and Jesus Christ is accomplishing what He wants to accomplish, because He's being magnified here. It doesn't matter if you like it. I say to the people, I don't care if you like my sermon. I care if He likes it. I care if He likes it. And if He likes it, He's going to do something with it, right? This is my That's Why well, I should get out of preaching, maybe go home and do some accounting or something. Um... Verse 10, I love it. Jesus says, <laughs> He says, Okay, it's impossible. Have the people sit down. Jesus says, Have the people sit down. Matthew 14, 18, Jesus says, And bring the loaves and fish to me. And I can't help but wondering what the, what the disciples are wondering. What are they thinking? What are the disciples thinking? I think they're thinking, What was I thinking? Of course He's the answer. He is the answer. Whenever God asks you a question, you know what to say. You! You're my You're my bread. You, you're all I need. If it all hits the fan today, just like Job, I worship you. You are the only being in the cosmos worthy of worship. There's no other being worthy of worship but, but Yahweh, no other being. <laughs> I think they're thinking, what we're thinking, he's always the answer. He's never not the answer. I love that the disciples obeyed there's a great truth here. When your faith is weak, what? Just obey in the simple thing. Obey the little thing. Have the people sit down, and we and we learn from uh, from the gospels that the disciples distributed the food. They didn't have they didn't have much to do, but they obeyed. They were they were obedient. They did their part. They did what God expected for them to do. Right? It's a big deal. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing at all. While their faith was small, they obeyed. Next thing they knew, okay, here it comes. Next thing they knew, (laughs) they were laughing all the way down the big slide. And as you know, they're walking away with 12 baskets of leftovers. Why 12 baskets of leftovers? So these hard-headed disciples will never forget that I'm the bread. Jesus is the bread. There is no more bread. There's no other bread. I'm the bread. I give life. Nobody else gives it. That's the lesson, right? That's the lesson. Philip had looked at the crowd and said it's impossible. Andrew looked at the loaves and said it's impossible. Jesus fed 20,000 people. Jesus has five loaves and two fish. He feeds 10 to 20,000 And you see the text, verse 11. They had as much as they wanted. Verse 12, they were filled. Verse 13, they gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers. So the disciples would never forget this lesson. He doesn't want us to forget it, beloved. That he is the bread. That's how we have felt watching a thousand people come through here. It always... Not always, but it often felt impossible. And the Lord Jesus would turn to Karen and I in June and July and he'd say, How are we gonna do another year? How are we gonna do another year? How do you keep this little funky church going? And we would say, We don't know, but we think you know. We're pretty sure we we're pretty sure you know. We're pretty sure if if you want it to continue, it will continue. Nobody can shut that door until you're ready for it to be shut. You know, where do you get the emotional stamina to keep doing this? <laughs> Jesus said, I'm your provision. So that was the annual test of trust for us, and he has been utterly faithful. Um We loved the first time you walked through the door, and we loved The last time you walked out, we loved worshiping King Jesus with people from 96 nations. We have loved it. We have loved every bit of it. But we've always hated when you left. And uh, that was our big slide. But tonight, we're leaving. It's not easy. We will miss it. Uh, We will miss you. Uh, It's been the best 18 years of my life. I would have paid you, and I'm not going to make a joke about Karen, needing new shoes or anything, but I would have paid you. So, what will you do with your next test of trust? Whatever it is, no matter how impossible it looks, I exhort you to look to God, our God, Our personal God, our our creator, our redeemer, and he uses the word our friend. The exhilaration of Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Jehoshaphat, Philip and Andrew and millions of others. It's the same exhilaration Karen and I have shared with you here for 18 years. So... Jesus is the answer. He knows what to do with the impossible. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Let's pray together.